You're listening to the Better Man Podcast, becoming life-giving men together. Hey there, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Better Man Podcast. My name is Adam Tarno, and today David Marvin joins me on the podcast. David leads The Porch, a Tuesday night ministry for thousands of young adults that meets across 17 locations in seven states. He has devoted his life to teaching and equipping the next generation of young men and young women. Uh, I invited David on the podcast today to talk about a new book that he's written. And so if you're listening to this episode on the day it releases, on October 4th, 2021, I have some bad news. Uh, You can't get his book yet because it releases tomorrow on October 5th, 2021. However, if you're listening to this episode, and this is probably most people, a few days after it's been released, then I have good news because this book is already out. Uh, The book is called We're All Freaking Out and Why We Don't Need to, Finding Freedom from Your Anxious Thoughts and Feelings. And honestly, after all the world has been through over the last 18 months, I cannot think of a more timely book and more timely message. So enjoy my conversation with David Marvin. David Marvin, welcome to the Better Man Podcast. Come on, dude. Thanks for having me. I'm so great to have you in here in studio. And that this is just a treat for me. I think I've only recorded like four or five live podcast for the Better Man podcast. And oh, so yeah. you're on this really short list wow. of people who have been uh, in here for a live recording. So They are missing out. I know. Yeah, it's great. I mean, it's just amazing. But technology is awesome. We live in the future. Just the ability to do this uh, virtually is pretty cool. So, okay, we're going to talk about your book. You've got a book that's coming out. When this releases, it'll be tomorrow, right? Because this this episode is dropping on October 4th, and this book comes out on October 5th. That's the next day after the one (laughs) that we're on (laughs) in all of this. So uh, I love the name of this book. We're all freaking out. And we don't, and why we don't need to, right? Uh, so, what, what's the book about, and what you know was going on in your ministry and ministry experience that led you to write a book? Yeah. on this topic. You know, it's funny. Um, I'll tell briefly even the, how the title came about because I don't think I ever would have come up with that. Yeah. And um, so I was Jenny Allen, who it offices around here too, and is a, a speaker, author. I mean, incredibly gifted communicator of God's word, and leads If Gathering. She's around Watermark. We bumped into each other, or I bumped into her and was catching up and said, man, I need to pick your brain on this book. I'm trying to think. I went in, and I'll tell it as quickly as possible because it may not be as interesting to anyone else but me. <laughs> but I go, and she was like, uh, hey, today, 2 o'clock, be in my office. We'll name your book. That sounds and, like Jenny. Yes. And I was like, all right, done. Whatever I have, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to we'll be there, name too. name your book. Like, yeah. that's what she, she knew. That's what you're going to do. Yes. All right. So I go, and I show up at, at uh, 1.58, get to her office, knock on the door, and I'm thinking, you know, she's really busy. She's got a lot going on. I'm sure I'll have to wait a few minutes. And um, somebody comes, gets me at the door, walks me straight into a room of, like, lionesses, these women <laughs> who are sitting there. And she, she literally goes, hey, sit down. All right, now start talking about your book. And she points to this girl who starts writing on the whiteboard. She's writing things out. She's looking at my manuscript. She flips to the second page or or early in the book. Subtitle was, we're all freaking out. Yeah. And she looks at me and goes, that's your title. Uh. And I was going anxious no more, fighting anxiety. (laughs) And she was like, blah, 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 all that overdone. No, you need to say it like people feel it. We're all freaking out and why you don't need to. And, uh, and so I never would have landed there, but I honestly never thought I was going to write a book. A publisher had come and pitched a book idea and was just not, I never had felt like, uh, some people have a clear calling. I need to write a book. I was more like, man, I, you know, um, I don't know that God would have me do that. They came back and pitched, you seem passionate about anxiety. Would you pray about that? My wife is a licensed counselor, helps people and has worked with people battling anxiety for years. So we prayed and just 
given the explosive trend of anxiety, panic attacks, depression among young adults, we just thought, man, if we can create a resource to help people do what I feel like most people don't understand, yeah. which is understand what the Bible actually teaches about anxiety and how to combat it, that's something that we would be excited about doing. And so that put us on this journey and um, really excited about it and, and praying that it helps people and people begin to experience why they don't need to because of what Christ has done. Yeah. So what uh, what's your reaction when the publisher says, you seem to be really passionate about anxiety? <laughs> <laughs> are you going, uh, what do you mean? Yeah, right? exactly. Like, are you, uh, have you bugged my house? Like, what's going on? Yes, exactly. Well, they, they looked at a couple of series that we had done, and it was just a year where we did self-care, and then we did this mood series where we're covering emotions. And, yeah. and they knew it's such an... Exp- this was before COVID, too. And, um, and so we thought, yeah, that's true. And it's only gone from an issue we talk about every once in a while to now we do a series, uh, a series on it every single year. And, um, and so, yeah, it was it's a, a funny, big deal. It's, it's a, a huge, it's a huge deal. deal. And, and I mean, you talk about this in the book and so let, let's just unpack this a little bit. Like, st- uh, statistically speaking, anxiety levels for millennials and Gen Z, like how, how does that compare to other age groups? They're explosive. It's shocking. And I, and I think there's some reasons why, but when you compare, I mean, it's like, three and four battle with severe anxiety. There was a study done that said the average psychiatric patient in the 1950s had the same level of anxiety as the average young adult, Gen Z today, Wow, young person. So just what the average person is walking around with, just, just managing on a daily basis, that back in the 50s would cause somebody to go seek some pretty acute medical yes. care. Okay. And today it's just common. Yeah. We've all embraced it. I think some of that is, this was a fascinating study to me. It was done in 2010, and it said that the amount of cultural and transformational change in the world in the last 30 years has changed as much as in the previous 300. Mm. That was before iPads. And this is 2010, this study. Take out the last 10 years. There was no Alexa. There was no Netflix. There was no Uber, no DoorDash. I mean, how much (laughs) our world has changed since that study was done? And change is stressful. And young young adult years, every age group can be stressful. But is that time where you're making, you know, they say 80% of the most significant life decisions you're going to make are done by age 35. Who you're going to marry, the career you're going to work in, yeah. where you're going to live. Often children are being born and raised. Yeah. And that all can create pressure to go, oh, these are huge life-altering decisions with no clear roadmap, which creates anxiety. And then people don't know what to do about their anxiety. And so it just compounds and the church has, in my opinion, not been really helpful about talking about mental health. And when they have, they've communicated, just stop. Yep. And one thing that, um, I'm just going, so uh, interrupt me. Let's if I, go. I love it. So here's an example, I think, of how the church or Christians haven't accurately taught what God's word actually says. If you ask the average Christian, what does God say about anxiety, about worry, it would say, you should stop and pray more or you know have more faith. That's a such a watered down perspective on what it actually teaches. To give one example of how people misunderstand even one verse, uh, Philippians chapter four, verse six and seven talks about, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which transcends understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. People think that Paul is just saying, hey, don't ever have an anxious thought about anything, pray. The Greek word he uses for do not be anxious is the Greek word merim now. It's a word that was, Uh, associated with meditation. Mm. So Paul's not saying don't ever have an anxious thought. That's impossible. Right. He's saying don't choose to meditate on fearful 
anxious thoughts. Just like I, I can't choose to, um, you know, if I said pink elephant, you're gonna, if I said don't think about a pink elephant, oh, you thought about a pink elephant. You can choose not to meditate on that thought. Yep. And no one would disagree with that, that Paul is saying don't meditate on anxious, fearful thoughts. Instead, and then he, in the verses following, says, think about whatever's true, lovely, pure, noble, which everyone would agree. In other words, none of us, neither of us have ever heard somebody say, what changed my life for the better is I began the habit of waking up every morning and meditating on everything that could possibly go wrong, <laughs> everything right. I'm afraid of, yeah. everything I'm anxious about. I just ran through, man, I could die and my car could go down and my <laughs> wife could leave me and I could get... And uh, bridges. Yeah. Let's Ooh. even think about bridges. Like, who were those engineers, <laughs> yeah. right? They could fall apart. And, yeah. Uh, like, no one would say that helps them. So that's what, Paul, that's one example of so many of the different teachings where people fail to really, I think, they undermine or they don't teach accurately what the Bible actually says about those thoughts. Yeah. So that was really a lot of the passion point of going, man, I believe in counseling. I think there's times medication is appropriate, but as Christians, our first line of defense should be the Bible. And anything else should be a supplement to that, not a replacement for it. And this is just an attempt to hopefully give people a first line of defense. Now, we talked about the stats and how it's impacting the generations differently. Let's talk about genders, right? Because this is obviously yep. the Better Man podcast. We're really focused on trying to equip men uh, here. So are you seeing any differences between men and women when it comes to anxiety, maybe in your own personal experience and in, in your ministry uh, at the porch or with some of the research you did in putting this book together? There is, uh, you know, studies have shown that women typically have higher rates of anxiety. Okay. Now, uh, and there's some reasons you could speculate on why some of that's wiring. Some of it, um, some people would even say it, there's a natural element where women, what makes them good mothers is they're very protective. Right. And so they have a more natural concern over anything that could Yeah, damage. some of the risks that yeah. are out there and all that kind of stuff. Exactly. Yeah, yeah makes sense. But um, there, because the levels are so high, what was you know, average for a guy years ago or average for a girl in generations past, that's where guys are today. And I think if anything, women, in my experience, are more equipped because they're typically a little bit more introspective. They're a little bit more in tune with emotions. They're a little bit more able to, to um, process feelings yep. better than men. Yep. They're able to handle and face anxiety better and articulate it. That's where a lot of young men can't even articulate what I'm anxious about, what I'm feeling, or recognize that, man, I have, I have some real anxiety yep. that is prolonged. Yeah, and so let's talk about that, because um, just this past weekend, okay, here's an example from my own life, and I think this could uh, set you up, and you can you can help some other men that are listening uh, to this right now. So just this past weekend, I uh, had a lot of things going on with work, and, and some things were running through my mind with uh, projects and some deadlines and some different things that are going on. Probably an hour or two later, I'm doing some other things around the house, and I think I even went outside. I've got this rudimentary-looking uh, golf practice range in my backyard yeah, with a mat do. and a net. Okay. So I'm like, oh, I got a little bit of time right now. The kids are busy. Uh, I'm going to go out and just practice my golf swing. I get out there and I just, I have a pit in my stomach yeah. for the first 15 minutes that I'm out there. And I'm just sitting there going, why am I anxious? I'm not worried about my game. I was crushing the ball, right? Like yeah, I'm not worried about yeah, my game. Are. Like what's going on with all of this. And I, I think, um, I think that could be an experience that a lot of people have where sometimes the anxiety or that feeling of nervousness or worry, whatever word you want to use there, it'll just hit you out of the blue. Yep. And what's really key is to then stop and recognize, number one, that's like a dashboard on your on your car, like yes. a light's going on, letting you know something's happening. Yep. 
then what do you encourage people to do? Like, how can they start to identify what is the cause of that and then start working on that with the Lord? Like, what, what would you do in those situations? I, if I was sitting with somebody, I would ask, hey, what are they feeling? What are the thoughts that are going through their head? Yep. And begin to help them, because one of the problems is we don't identify not only why we're anxious, but then go, man, I'm anxious about you know my kids. Am I a good enough dad? Am I? Uh, um, what do my employers think about me? Am I going to be able to afford paying for my kids' college? Is my retirement fund going to be? A, you know, pinpointing that, and then chasing down the roots underneath that are fueling that. Yeah, there was a book that, um, uh, man, I'm blanking on something about feelings, but it basically. Was the entire premise of the book was, hey, every emotion that we have, true feelings, I think it was. Okay. Every emotion we have exists because of an intersection of a belief and a value that we have. Mm. So anxiety is an emotional experience, or it, part of anxiety is the emotional experience that can have physical side effects, physical impact, and identifying what are the roots or the beliefs and values underneath that. To use an example or an illustration, if I was walking down the street and I saw a squirrel run out in the road, I feel nothing. Right. I couldn't feel anxious if I wanted to. I'm like, it's a squirrel. Yeah. You know? uh, and uh, <laughs> so mean. We're to- totally getting emails, man. <laughs> man thank you. Hey, Send who- those to David Marvin at. <laughs> I used to, I used to say, you know, like, man, if you love squirrels, I apologize. And yeah. then I thought, who loves squirrels? Yeah. There's really not many. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, but if I see a child, you know, running in the street, right? Then I feel concerned. Mm. If I see my child running in the street then I feel tremendous concern, like it's gonna lead me to act. And I can't manufacture those emotions. It's because I believe there's potential danger for this child, something that I highly value, so belief and value, that creates an emotion inside of me. What's interesting is something doesn't even have to be true Mm. in order for me to experience that. I have to believe it could potentially be true. To use an example about something belief and value, that these inform all of our emotions. If I was seeing my wife walking through our front yard and I saw what I believed was a snake, whether it was a stick or a snake, because I believed it could be or it was about someone that I really value, my wife, I believe something about something I value, I would experience anxiety. Get away. Move away. Yep. It doesn't even have to be actually true that it's a snake. That's good. The potential that it could be. So informing all of our anxiety is a belief that uh, there's beliefs and values, and just one, I think, relevant to this audience, and jump in if, if you want to take it another direction, is I was sitting with a friend who was in ministry, and we were talking about, um, he was concerned about paying for his kid's college someday. Okay. Which is a real, you know, I've felt that before. Yeah. It's a real feeling. And, um, and I began, like, just talking with him and asking him, like, what would happen? Because he's saying, man, I'm just worried I won't be able to provide, pay for their college. And asking him, what would happen if they couldn't afford or you couldn't afford to pay for the college. Right. And he would say, well, you know, they'd have to take out loans or they'd have to get a scholarship or maybe they wouldn't even go to college. And, asking, and I asked him, what would happen if they had to take out loans or get a scholarship or didn't go to college? And he said, well, I would feel like I wasn't a good dad. Hmm. And I remember saying, is that what a good dad is, pays for college? On the top 10 list of what makes a good dad, where would pays for college be? Yeah. You know, is it possible to be a good dad and not pay for college? Is it possible to be a bad dad and pay for college? And the answer is, of course, yes. But what was fueling his anxiety was the belief that a good dad pays for college. And that's a lie, you know, from God's word. We know that um, that's not what it means to be a good father. And, And ironically, his anxiety over being a good dad someday and the flawed view of a good dad someday 
was preventing him from being present today mm. and being a good father. And so all that to say, I think you begin to go, man, what am I feeling? And what are some of the root beliefs that are lies that I'm believing or value that is a disproportionate value? I feel anxiety over my job. Well, it's because I believe that I'm ultimately the source of provision in my life. That if I don't get this job or if I lose this job, I have to provide. Well, that's a lie. You know, God says he's the ultimate provider. Or, um, you know, I'm anxious over whether we're going to be able to have kids, which is a great thing. There just may be a disproportionate value that I, I somewhere believe, man, kids are so valuable that if I can't have children, if my wife and I are infertile, then uh, uh, is life even worth living? Right. And that's a disproportionate value. And so I think beginning to, through introspection and through, you know, we love community and processing those with other people. Absolutely. Go, what are the beliefs and the values that are informing what I'm feeling right now. And that becomes a nice framework to think through this. And David, in your own journey with anxiety, did you just stumble into that to go, oh, it's probably this mix of my beliefs and my values. And so I need to, while I'm driving into work, just process it through that. Like, is this something that you just stumbled into or did somebody guide you there? Or how did you uncover that? Yeah, no, I, um, you know, when all of the explosion of anxiety, I just began to, to research and read. I see a counselor personally that's yep. been really beneficial for me, understanding my own emotions, anxiety, um, because there's a cognitive part of that. There's an emotional aspect of it. And, um, and so it was through resources and through processing and through uh, learning from other Christian thinkers, pastors, therapists, um, begin to put some language around a lot of this. Yeah. So that's that's kind of been my own journey. And because uh, every one of us experiences anxiety, and I certainly have throughout, you know, our marriage. And, you know, once you have kids, yep. you got a whole new list of things to be anxious about that you didn't even ever realize. Yeah. And, um, and so this was partly an, an attempt to help others and partly just on my own journey of God growing my confidence in him, understanding myself and understanding of my own feelings of anxiousness. Yeah, I really resonated as in my own journey with anxiety with uh, Jesus's words in the Sermon on the Mount about you can't add an, uh, a moment to your life, yes. right? And for me, and, and anxiety for me, typically uh, what happens for me is I'm, I'm anxious not about something today. I'm usually anxious about something I think may or may not happen in the future. And um, you know, just this mind, mindset, just to remember that when I'm thinking about the future, that's not real yet. Yes. Okay. And so I am wanting, I'm, I'm developing like this make-believe land of the future. This is yes. Adam's make-believe future uh, world where I'm the God of that world. Yes. Okay. But it's producing real emotion today. And I'm like getting frustrated with God because he's not coming into my make-believe land yes. and changing the way I feel about all this make-believe stuff. And to to understand that that is not reality. Yes. That is just me thinking about stuff that may or may not happen. And so what can I focus on today? And what is God doing today? And I need to follow Jesus's advice. It's really great about just focus on today because tomorrow is going to take care of itself. Right. Was some aspect of this journey for me too. And, and even just little exercises like that, like, oh, I'm, I'm just thinking about something that may happen tomorrow. Yes. And it, that's not real. Yes. That's not real yet. It may be. And what I do know is um, I've seen those studies, you know, and I'm sure you came across it in your research about the number of the percentage of things that we worry about that actually come true. Yes. It's, it's like ridiculously small. So tiny. Yeah. You know? And so just going, odds are 
this thing that I'm worried about tomorrow is probably not going to happen. Yep. And if so, God is faithful. Yes. Right. And, and he's, his grace is sufficient when, especially when we need it. Yes. And I don't need it in my make-believe world right now. Totally. You know what I think is an interesting, uh, unconventional practice is to uh, almost chase down if it did happen. Yeah. What are the implications? Like, let's say, um, you know, uh, I could spend all my time thinking about, well, what if my wife gets breast cancer and she dies and I have to raise, we're, we got a third one on the way, I got to raise three kids all yeah. by myself. I could go there mentally and let's say that happened. It would be tragic. That'd be horrible. No one would ever want that. But it, whether or not that's going to happen, I don't have any control over. Right. So me just dwelling on that anxious thought, I'm doing the opposite of what Paul said. Right. I mean, I'm not, not going to thwart what God has. And so, you know, the the language of I struggle with control, I think is not helpful language because it's not really accurate. Right. When somebody says I struggle with control, it's it's like my son saying I, I struggle with superhuman strength when he knocks his sister down, like pretending to be Hulk, you know? It's <laughs> yeah. like, no, you don't have superhuman. You, you're struggling with, uh, that's a made up thing. You don't have that. You'll never have that. And control is the same way. We say I struggle with control. Really, we mean I struggle with not having control yeah, and the idea of, of releasing that. And I'll never have control. And I can either go, man, I don't have control, but God does. And let that give me peace. Or I can say, man, I don't have control and I'm going to freak out about it, but it's not going to help me. What does, I mean, so one of the biblical strategies that you talk about in the book is, is this idea of surrendering life's unknowns. Yep. Okay. Um, we're recording this in the pandemic is still raging on. Yeah. Uh, if there's anything that the past 18 months have taught us is that life has a lot of unknowns, right? Because in March, early March of 2020, I was worried about things in my little pretend future world, yes. right? Not one of them included a pandemic, yes. right? Not one of them, uh, those things. And so what are some strategies on how to surrender some of these unknowns? Because I think what we're all starting to realize, uh, which can add another layer of anxiety, is just how little control we have yes. over life, right? And so uh, God's Word speaks to this. And, and so what, what are some strategies there that would be helpful to surrender those unknowns? Yeah, I think one thing that was practically really helpful for me when we had a scare with one of our, our kids was flagged for a chromosomal disorder, mm -hmm. where our daughter, the same night we found out we were having a girl, um, you know, the doctor called, it was Wednesday in December years ago. And, um, and immediately I knew something was up because doctors don't call at 9.30 at night on a Wednesday to just say, how's hey, it, hey, how how's, are you? How's everything going? Congrats. And, um, and she began to say, hey, you're, you're having a daughter and we know that because she's been flagged for a chromosomal disorder that only women have. Mm. And that put us on a, and if she has it, there's a 99% chance she won't live. And if she does have it, she'll have to have immediate heart surgery and have severe complications the rest of her life. She'll never mm -hmm. have kids. She'll have just some, some real complications. And that led us on, you know, the next six months, because at that time we were three months in, of daily praying, God, we, we want our baby to live. We want our baby to live. But trying to practice what Jesus said in Matthew chapter six of, hey, your kingdom comes before my kingdom. Mm. I'm going to seek prioritize first your kingdom or your agenda, your will, your reign, what you have. I cuz we know the will of God, there's two of them. There's the revealed will in scripture and then there's the unrevealed will that kind of unfolds in front of us in our life. Mm. And so whenever God's will unfolds in our life and it contradicts what I would want, which is in that circumstance a healthy daughter, I can either go God, man, we want our daughter to live, 
But if that's not your will, I trust you. Yeah. And I'm going to release that to you. And I'm going to try to trust you. And as we began to do that, we, we still had anxiety in that whole season. But every time I experienced peace was those moments of handing it over going, God, we want our daughter to live. But your will comes before our will and we trust you. Similar to what Jesus in the garden did when he prayed to his father hours before being crucified, God, take this cup for me. Or in, I, in other words, I don't want to do this, but your will, not what I will, your will be done. And so embracing that and beginning to really release that, I still think we go to God in prayer, we bring those things, we don't pretend to not want something uh, you know, that we want, but at the same time going with the posture of God, I know you're for me, I know you love me, and your kingdom comes before mine. So your will comes before mine, I'm trusting you. I'm trying to trust you. I trust you. And so that was really helpful for me in just learning to release that. Yeah, that's really good. Uh, let's change gears here for a little bit and but continue to talk about the culture. And so, you know, you talked about how the last 30 years has been more changed than the last 300. One of the things that's happened over the last 30 years, obviously, with the rise of the Internet and just how connected the world has become and how fast information moves we're now contemplating or aware of so many more things that are happening, yes. uh, not only just around the world, but just in life. I mean, again, just to reference the pandemic, I think I was okay being ignorant on how a virus actually <laughs> works. Like that was pretty horrifying oh, to yes. start going, hold on, they mutate? What are these? Are <laughs> yes. these living? And yes. there's no They're cure? living? Hey, what? Yes. And they never go away? Yes. This is information I did not know and I was happy not knowing yes. about. And so... You know, whether it be news headlines that are hitting our news feeds from all over the world of just so many tragic things, right? It feels overwhelming yeah. with all of this. How, how are you seeing this impact young men? Just the, I mean, we're as close to uh, our generation is, um, you know, we're getting to be closer to more omniscient, you know, and uh, we're not there, obviously, but we're certainly more, we know more than previous generations. Yes. And I don't know, is it better? Are we better knowing all of this or not? And how is this impacting anxiety? I think you're so spot on. In fact, I was talking with somebody earlier about, you, you think about um, Pearl Harbor. Mm -hmm. Like when Pearl Harbor happened, there was a gap between whenever the person heard about it and they heard about it on the radio. Mm -hmm. You know, they went home and there weren't, you know, they didn't get a news alert saying there's been an attack by the Japanese on yeah. American soil. They went home and they found today you know, with if there's an attack in Belgium, I, I can get a news alert, yeah. you know, on my phone that says there's a terrorist attack back then. So I do think the interconnectedness really is contributing to, it feeds comparison, it feeds uh, anxiety. And I think learning to detach and detox, there is like a, I don't even know how to describe, it's like anger porn or something. Mm. It's like political rage um, I don't know how else to, what else to yeah, call it no, other than pornography. Great, great where, description. And that can feed an angst and, yeah. and anxiety. And, and some of that, um, our country has a lot of problems, but I know for me, knowing I got to be careful to audit and monitor the things that I'm consuming. That's good. It's like um, I, on Saturday mornings, you probably do this too. I'll go take my kids to go get donuts, yeah. donut daddy. And the older I get, the worse I feel. After I eat those donuts, I'm like, oh, oh, the shame. Yes. And just like, oh, I just, I got to go back to bed. And I, I feel just, what have I done? Yeah. And it's because you junk food in and you feel like junk. And I think the same thing is true as information. Like you take junk information in, yeah. you're going to feel like junk. And uh, nobody's teaching people, we call it guarding your heart, but it's really monitoring what am I consuming? Because that can look like 
social media or honestly, a lot of times for young men, I think it's news. Yep. I think it's all the political stuff. And I'm not saying be uninformed. I mean, it's important to be informed, yeah, but absolutely. just if that's constantly, you're going to feel more anxious. I know I do at least yeah. um, when I'm like constantly listening to the latest, how could they, yeah. you know, and, uh, and what's going to happen in the future of, and all that again, to be informed is good, but if it's causing you emotional angst, then it could be worth going, you know, I'm just going to, I'm taking a week off of that. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm not doing that anymore. Yeah. And just see how you feel. I mean, just run an experiment, try it for a couple of days and, and see what happens. And again, back to what you were talking about, how do you identify what's causing some of the anxious thoughts? I mean, this is, this is not something that you type a and figure out in a 20 minute coffee with a buddy, right? This is some stuff that takes a while because all human emotions, they're complex, there's nuance, there's detail, there's stuff from your past, there's things about the future. It's very, very complex. So starting the process sooner rather than later is helpful. Yes. And this is where you got to start. I like the word you use, probably just because I'm a recovering CPA, the audit that you would need to yeah. do of, of your heart and of things that are going on. Yes. But just starting to try to connect some dots, right? Let, let me run some experiments. This is, would be similar if... Um, you know, what they'll do if a, if a child is suffering from a food allergy. It's like, well, we don't know which one. So don't feed them carrots for the next week and then, yes. and then introduce carrots. And then, all right, now let's try milk and see if it's that. You just, you just, some of these things you just got to experiment yes. to see how are you feeling uh, as you go through all this, what's helpful and what is, is causing you uh, some harm good. with all of that. So let's, uh, let's switch, and then we'll, we'll wrap up here. Let's talk about, uh, again, a main source of anxiety for young adults, both men and women, all around dating and marriage. And so what, what are you seeing there, and how are you seeing some young adults um, handle, you know, in a healthy way, the anxiety surrounding dating and marriage? Yeah. I think, um, you know, the things they get anxious about are, and I work at the porch, which is primarily young, single adults. And there, as it relates to dating, love, marriage, it's, man, am I going to be single for forever? Am I sure that they're the one? Am I, um, am I going to end up divorced? Uh, maybe if I break up, I, I missed the person I was supposed to marry. And so yeah. it can be a real breeding ground for anxiety. And I think, uh, I think part of the reason why is because so many of the things that we've been told about who to look for and how you know that you know, just feed that anxiety. And by that, I mean things like people say, you know, when you know, you know, which for anybody who just is a little bit more uh, cognitive or yeah. thinker, they then go, oh no, I don't know that I know. So does that mean that I know that I don't know that I know? <laughs> and, uh, and so I think we've just been taught all these different things about even what to look for and what we should feel once we know that person. Yep. I kind of liken it to, you know, most of us were introduced to dating, love, romance when we were around 15 or 16 or out of puberty. And around that time, we also started driving a car. Well, when you drive a car, you do driver's ed because people know, hey, this is a dangerous thing. Yeah. You need to make sure that you, you um, know how to drive. But no one ever did a dater's ed. So no. we just learned from culture. We learned from the world. We learned from Hollywood and from movies and, and from TV about, oh, this is what it should look like, which are really bad sources because they send messages that tell us things that God doesn't say are the things to prioritize. So I think the more you can go, hey, this is the type of qualities God says to look for in a spouse, and uh, their character, they're honest, they are humble, and by that I mean that they're willing to ask for forgiveness if they see wrong, and they're teachable, they're growing in their relationship with Christ. Those are the things to prioritize. All the other things are really nice-to-haves or not needs-to-haves. I think the more you cling to those must-haves, mm. qualities that God says, 
that's an act of faith and you begin to experience more peace in your dating relationship over yeah. I'm not saying you have to marry that person. I'm just saying they're the type of person that if you're going to get married, they at least have the qualities that you should be looking for because there is no the one out there and probably don't even have the time enough time to go into all of that. But clinging to, oh, this is who God says to look for, I really believe is a good, helpful handhold yeah. for people on like, hey, this is who I'm going to, this is the target I'm seeking. Yeah. One of the last episodes that we just released on the Better Man podcast was with uh, Jeff Kemp, and um, he was talking about level five friendship. And again, just the role that friends can play in one another's lives. I feel like a proverb we talk about all the time on this podcast, 1320. If you walk with the wise, you'll grow wise. Companion of fools suffers harm. So... Let's just wrap up and talk about what what can uh, how can friends help? And so you know we got all kinds of guys listening to this right now of different ages, different generations, different experiences. When they're going to be sitting down across the table from somebody maybe this next week or at the softball game or just having lunch with somebody, and there's some anxiety, right that that one of their friends is feeling or maybe they're feeling, what, what can friends do, can guy friends do to help each other yeah. with this? And, and what are some things that you've seen in the past that have been really helpful? Yeah, you know, one of my biggest passion points from the book is to destigmatize the way that we think about anxiety. That's good. And bring freedom to like, man, I, I'm going to say I'm anxious about this. Yeah. Like you can't, um, in the book, I, I talk about how I hate going to the mall. It's just, it's like a, it, I just hate the mall. And some people <laughs> listening may love it. it. For me, it's like, I, I can't breathe in there for whatever <laughs> And what mall are you going to? <laughs> North Park. Like, oh, gosh. Soul sucking for some reason. But, but they've got all that art and those sculptures. I it's know. Not, it's, it's like, a, it's it's like the, one of the, the best in the world. There's no windows. It's, yeah, it's, like, a, it's like a you know, casino with <laughs> shopping or something. And, uh, but I'm an Apple guy like you, so once a year I'll have to go get the latest Apple product or something fixed. And I go in, and every time I do, I go and I look for that physical map. The one, it's like the last physical map left in society. <laughs> and I look for where is the Apple store? And one other really important thing, the you are here. Yeah. Because if I don't sticker. know where that sticker is, then I can't get to where I want to go. In other words, knowing where the Apple store, knowing where I want to go is uh, worthless if I don't know where I am. Mm. And so I think one thing that Christians have not done a good enough job is just saying, man, I'm going to embrace my anxiety, not to keep it, but I'm going to embrace, I'm anxious about this and open up and talk about it. And I think they'll discover that they're not crazy, they're not alone. You know, they'll generally hear someone else say, man, I've felt those things too. Yeah. So I think cultivating, man, I, I'm gonna openly talk about it. And then as a friend, listening, not shaming, asking thoughtful questions about why do you feel that way and what would happen if that did happen and help them kind of navigate what may be causing and fueling their anxiety. And then praying with them and encouraging them and, you know, doing all the stuff we do in community for yeah. any sin, yeah. which is like holding them accountable. I'm praying for you today and yep. I'm going to, I'm going to walk with you and bear that burden with you as scripture calls us to. Yeah. And then if you have more time, you can dig into values and beliefs and all that kind yes. of stuff, but just listening, calling it what it is. I like that. That's a, that's a really good list. So, uh, David, the book is going to be great. Uh, they can get it tomorrow on Amazon or wherever books are sold, that's right? right? Wherever you like to buy your does, books. Does anyone buy them? Not on Amazon I, anymore? I, Barnes and Noble's still around. I know. It's amazing. Half price books. It won't be there yet. You no. don't want it showing up no. there yet. No. No. <laughs> you don't want it showing up there too quick. If you see that, email me. Yeah. I want to know. <laughs> Take pictures. A family member of mine. David. <laughs> and see, all right, underline stopped in chapter two. So everything else, <laughs> yes. David, they uh, they did 
didn't like. But anyway, you can go out and uh, and get that. How can other people track with you? Instagram, websites, anything yeah, like that? Instagram, David Marvin, uh, davidmarvin.org, and theports.live to check out anything that we're doing at the ports. But so fun to be here, man. That's I'm great. Grateful for you. All right. Thanks for being here. See you soon, David. Come on. And so David and I, we, we wrapped up today talking about the importance of going through life with other men, with some friends. And if you're listening today and you realize that's me, uh, I too am struggling with some anxiety or with some worry. And I wish I could just go through life with some other good friends that I could talk about this subject with, that I could be candid with. I just wish that I was locking arms with other men as I went through this journey of life. If that's you, uh, then the Better Man Experience is a great and simple way to do that. Or maybe that's not you. Maybe you, too, have a story like David's where you have had some success battling anxiety, and you need to be a guide. You need to be a mentor. You need to be a voice of hope for other people who are struggling. Then for you, too, the Better Man Experience is a great and simple way to do just that. Our 11-week experience helps you to explore manhood and make some lifelong friendships along the way. Better Man is free of charge for churches. If you want to learn more about how you can go through the Better Man experience, go to betterman.com. Once again, that's betterman.com. That's all we've got for today. As always, all of our episodes are mixed and edited by that unbelievable team over there at Sound of a Rose. You can learn more about them at soundofarose.com. Thanks so much for listening to the Better Man podcast. We'll talk to you again next time.